Bob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome back to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, I welcome Joe Kuhn to the show. Joe was formerly a plant manager and also led some plants through some reliability initiatives. So we get his perspective on how to get your plant manager to buy into your reliability initiatives and why pairing data with observation is a great strategy. If you haven't yet, check out my website, robsreliability.com, and sign up for the weekly reliability newsletter with some bonus content. As you guys know, that content that comes out in the newsletter, you can't find it on LinkedIn, so get it there. If you like the show, please tell your colleagues about it and subscribe to Rob's Reliability Project on your favorite podcast platform. Finally, if there are any topics, guests you'd like to hear from, questions you want answered, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, just send me an email at robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. But first, a message from Upkeep. Do you want a better reliability program? Do you want better data quality in your CMMS? Well, having frustrated and overworked shop floor people isn't the way to get that great reliability program. Often we make our mechanics, millwrights, and operators do paper rounds and then transcribe that information into a desktop CMMS. This causes more frustration and we'll likely lose data quality in that process. So why don't we try something different? Upkeep maintenance management is different. It's a mobile-first CMMS that takes the work out of work orders with its easy-to-use mobile application. With a snap of a picture and just a few keystrokes on your mobile device, you can update work orders in a matter of seconds. Upkeep is a mobile-first CMMS designed to be easy for your maintenance personnel. So easy, it was voted number one for ease of use by maintenance teams. Rob's Reliability Project has partnered with Upkeep to not only give you a great mobile-first CMMS, but also if you purchase an annual subscription, you get one month free and a bonus one-hour free coaching call with me. Make your reliability program better and make your text lives easier by going to robsreliability.com slash upkeep and sign up today. Hey guys, I'm here. We're back and I'm here with Joe Kuhn today. Joe is the owner of Lean Driven Reliability. Joe, how are you? Doing great today. Thanks for asking. No, thanks for coming on the show and joining us today. Now, first thing I want to get into, I want to just mention you do host a YouTube channel channel and it's if you're searching for it it's called reliability man do you want to talk a little bit about that for now joe yeah yeah you know uh, the um i worked as a practitioner in um and reliability and production and operations uh, management for 32 years and you know i've just developed a passion for reliability a little niche that's a little bit different than uh 
than what other people are doing. So after 32 years, I decided to retire and start my uh, start a little consulting business. And at the same time as that, decided to uh, give back a little bit to some underserved people, you know, may, maybe people that can't afford a consultant and share some of my uh, lessons that took me years to uh, to attain. And, and hopefully in little 10 minute segments, people can, uh, um, you know, capture that knowledge. I'm trying to bridge the gap between best practices and reliability and no best practices and your reality. So, you know, people. They understand the best practices, okay? They under, but if you're if you don't have a reliability engineer, you got 100% unplanned work and just chaos every day. You don't know what step to make. So I'm trying to help those people. Um, you know, by adding lean, what and this is what I found. This <laughs> took me years to learn this. I've added some lean concepts to reliability best practices, and in doing so, I've been able to greatly accelerate the impact. So. You know, traditional deployments, the ones I was involved with in 2003 uh, with a consultant, you know, it took us several years to start to get some traction where we were getting results. And by adding lean, you can get that in weeks. Uh, so I'm really trying to spread that word to people. Uh, you know, we're going to talk probably a lot about observation today. I'll be using that as my standard answer to every question you ask. So that's what I'm trying to do, reach the masses. Uh, some of those uh, will just take the information and, and do great things. And some people may, may give me a call and want to, some consulting help. So that's what I'm trying to do uh, with, that, uh, with that channel. And I try to keep everything to 10 minutes. So, you know, we learn by uh, YouTube nowadays. So I wanted to, uh, to use that market. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a good platform for learning, and uh, you know, and as just as much as this one is as well. So, Joe, uh, you you touched on it a little bit, but you want to give us a little more background on yourself. Like, how'd you get your start in maintenance re reliability? And you did mention that you were a plant manager at one point in your career. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I've um, I've actually been a plant manager three times. Um, you know, starting back in two thousand five was my first uh and i've had small plants the smallest plant was uh about 175 people and the largest plant was 2000 so i i've been a plant manager and i've been a leader uh for 29 of my uh 32 years have been in really operations leadership so i've never worked as a as a reliability engineer uh but i i have in my career been a maintenance manager as well um but I've, uh, I guess the last experience I wanted to highlight was uh, I was the global director for reliability and maintenance for, uh, you know, the company I worked for, Alcoa. Uh, we had 31 locations around the world. So I've got a lot of information, worked with a lot of people, learned from a lot of great people uh, over the years. Started off as a mechanical engineer. So, you know, you asked, you know, how to get started in reliability maintenance. Uh, every one of my answers is a little bit long, Rob, so sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I really think I had three starts in reliability and maintenance. The first one, at 22 years old, mechanical engineer, I hired into uh, an Alcoa plant that was a large rolling facility, made flat rolled aluminum. And I was uh, assigned to the roll grind shop where we managed the bearings uh, and the rolls for those rolling mills. And that was my start. We were, you know, we had, uh, you know, a CMMS system at the time, but by today's standards, we, we were doing 100% unplanned work. We basically ordered parts and, 
gave a big time window and said, fix it, you know. Um, so that was my start uh, back in 87. My second start was in 2003 when Alcoa started working with uh, life cycle engineering. And I owed them a lot uh, uh, of my learning came from life cycle engineering. They had 29 elements that make up a reliability culture. I learned about roles and responsibility, processes and planning, just a, a great rollout from them. Um, but my third start <laughs> happened in 2006 is when we added condition monitoring, problem solving, and then what I'll call go and see. And go and see is the secret sauce that so many people are missing nowadays, <laughs> going out and see what's happening, see reality. That go and see was the gasoline on our program. And, and I, that's, uh, that's the journey I'm still on today. And go and see, you can call it observation, you can call it lean, but it's, you know, the art of going out and observing work, you know, trying to be a fly on the wall for eight hours. And people just don't do that anymore. And, and it's causing us to make bad decisions uh, based on uh, data alone. And data, as you know, can be very biased. So I've had three starts in uh, reliability <laughs> and maintenance. That's, that's two more than me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's great. And I guess let's dig a little more into that go and see. Like early in my career, I think I made the mistake of not really going out to the field enough. You know, and part of that was, I guess I was a little intimidated by it. But now I really believe that, you know, the answers lie on the shop floor and you have to go out and not only get them, but you got to ask the people who work there to get them. You have to see what they're dealing with. You have to understand where they're coming from. Now, where do you think that gap comes from? Like, why are reliability people not going out to the shop floor enough? Well, I think there's several reasons. Uh, number one is people are busy. One of the things that happened, you know, maybe it was 20 years ago, is the introduction of email. <laughs> the introduction of uh, email has just captured, you know, it's 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 great way to transfer knowledge, but it can be all consuming. You know, think about people's lives now that, you know, you could spend hours a day on LinkedIn, you could spend hours a day on Facebook, you could spend several hours a day in, in email. And and so when when somebody's working a 10 hour day and they take a bite out of that of two hours, what do you cut? You can't cut your standard meetings, you know, uh, and you you uh, you, you just go to those and you have email, you have conference calls and uh, <laughs> it's really eaten into people's time and it's becoming a lost art. I've, I've routinely, I've gone, I, this isn't a, a, a rare occurrence. I'd go to the shop floor and observe for two, three days. And I would, I would see two or three uh, uh, reliability engineers, supervisors, management people, two or three over three days it's 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 shocking it's 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 really causing us to you we use data and we use people's opinion and to make decisions and you know i've got several examples i can go into a couple of those if you'd like uh of where that forces you to make a bad decision and it's very common yeah i would like to hear it so let's let's talk about that so when did give us an example okay so here's, uh, uh, we'll just see how long this takes. <laughs> you, tell, you cut me <laughs> off here. 
But, you know, the first example, and this is, uh, again, very common, you know, uh, and I'll call this one hiring people. Okay. Say you have 100 craft people and you have 10 of them that told you that they're retiring at the end of the year. So you're, you're going, you're down to 90. So you're the maintenance manager, you're the reliability engineer. And you say, man, we're not going to be able to get all of our PMs done, all of our planned work. We're going to be down 10 people. But then you find out, you know, hey, you're at 10%, you're at 15% wrench time. And you go and you observe on the shop floor and you say, let's watch one of these planned jobs go. And you find out that you're not doing kidding. You're not staging the parts. Quite often you have the wrong parts. Okay, your your planners are not working on the connection with operations, you know, on how they should leave the equipment and then the connection back on how you turn it back over to operations and the connections between electrical and mechanical, between mechanical and contractors. Those transitions, you find out hey, pretty simply, hey, we're at 15 percent wrench time. If we go in and make these two changes, could be just kidding and staging. We can take wrench time from 15 to 25 percent in just weeks. Okay, so then <laughs> you take your wrench time from 15 to 20 percent. I've already done this math because uh, I've used this example before that you could effectively get the same work done with 60 people that you were getting work done with 100. So you go after this wrench time and not only can you uh, uh, handle that attrition of 10, but you can fund a PDM team. You could add uh, problem solvers. Say you have a mechanic or so that is good with, you know, real, he's got a flair for reliability and problem solving. You can staff a condition monitoring group. You can uh, add planners. So uh, that's if you just look at the hard data and say, we got 100 now, we're going down 10. We need to add 10 people. So 10 people, $100,000 a person, you're adding a million dollars. And instead, you can actually save that million and get more work done. So that's that's an example of observations. People, uh, my uh, when I go into plants, people generally, this is a rule of thumb now, this is not a fact, this is a rule of thumb if I had to average everybody together, people generally think their, their wrench time is about 2x what it is. <laughs> so I mean, I've, I've been in plants that said, hey, we've had three, we have 3,000 observations. <laughs> You know, and these are the snapshot method of, and they go out there and, and they'll I say our wrench time is, you know, 52.734. And then I'll go out and I'll, I'll observe it's at 22. And, and if you think if your wrench time's at 50 percent and you're and you're uh, you think it's a 50 percent and it's actually at 20, you're going to make totally different decisions as a leader. Right. Absolutely. Okay, now another one, uh, another example, mean time between failure, okay? Mean time between failure, that's a pure number, right? Okay, <laughs> okay, so, but you go out and observe the PM, say it's a conveyor, and you're, you got the mean time between failure, this thing is just diving off the cliff, it's just getting worse and worse and worse, it's 20 years old, we need to replace it, it's $2 million. Okay, you go out there and observe and you find out, you talk to the mechanics, and they're not doing the PMs on it. They're not maintaining the motors. They're not greasing the thing because, you know, they, they put up some new safety guarding or something like that uh, or some tribal knowledge person retired and nobody's doing PMs on this. And, and so your mean time between failure data has the assumption that you're doing the full PMs. But what, what you find out is that you're not. 
sometimes, you know, it, it's that tribal knowledge somebody got pulled off. Sometimes it's a change like in safety. And sometimes it's unplanned work. You know, you assign two people eight hours to PM this conveyor. And then one hour into it, they get pulled off because the gearbox failed on the other side of the plant. Then they come back at one o'clock in the afternoon, throw some grease on the thing, button it back up, count the PM is done. This is extremely common. They're not trying to be malicious. They're just saying, hey, we're going to have this thing down next month. We'll just we'll just try to get it done. And this, this is a way that, you know, if you just believe the mean time between failure data or just believe the hiring, you know, uh, you're going to make bad decisions. Last example, I want to hit observation pretty hard. So last example, and I'll talk to you <laughs> shorter with this one. You know, in your DMA, daily management meeting, everybody's got some sort of daily management meeting where nine o'clock to get together and talk about what's going on. You know, it's routine for for, you know, an area representative to say, you know, hey, uh, you know, uh, we had three hours of downtime last night on this rolling mill because, of, you know, we experienced some equipment problems, but we solved it and we're ready to go on and, and we just go on down the road. Well, if you had observed that, you'd have found out that they were just it was just a routine change of roles that should have taken. We got standard work for that it should take about 40 minutes. But the operator did something wrong and scratched the rolls, putting them in, and it ended, And then we had to take them out, and then we had to put, put a new set in. It ended up being down three hours. Well, it so happens that roll changes are our number one downtime on the Pareto. Well, if, if this one person's having the problem, maybe everybody's having the problem. And, and you know, by eliminating that, ten, you know, it's not, you know, not trying to blame the worker here, but how do we airproof that method? So that doesn't happen. So we can bring our average time down from 40 down to maybe our best demonstrated was like, you know, 25 minutes and we can get more consistent on that. So observation completely changes what the root cause is because it, uh, there's so much bias that's inside of your data. One, one of the examples I like to use, this is just a funny one. I live here in Southern Indiana and the, the average temperature is 50 degrees. So it's 50 degrees. Well, you come out of here on one of 365 days, it's rare that the temperature is going to be 50 degrees. <laughs> you know, you've got some days it's minus 10 and some days it's 110. So observation lets you see the opportunity and it dictates an action. So um, uh, it's been the gasoline. I'm telling you that, that on your reliability program, you want to get results fast. You want to, you want, uh, you know, to be able to, uh, um, get some credibility for investment observation is key to a reliability program. Yeah. I, I think, I think the key there, like I'm not throwing out all the data. What I'm doing is I'm pairing it together. Right. Because if you're, if your KPIs are obviously if they're calculated correctly and they're not like manipulated in any way post uh, which that's, a, that's an assumption to make, but uh, but, but if your KPIs are like automatically calculated, you know, that should lead you into places where you should be looking at. And that's where that observation can, you can pair that together and figure out what's the root cause. Yeah, it's not an either or, it's an and. And what has happened, it, I've seen this over the last 15 years or so, the observation piece, people's just dropped that. There's so much, you know, we quadrupled the amount of data. And, and made it all automatic 
that we've dropped the observation piece and there's there you, you've got it you know it, like just the example i gave on mean time between failure that is a hard number it's automatically calculated but it assumes that you were doing an effective pm it assumes all uh, that you were doing precision maintenance yeah. and those aren't always good assumptions most of the time they're not good assumptions yeah and I, i've seen it a lot with machine condition where you walk out and you know, there's no oil in the in the hydraulic tank or or the, you know, the machine. Actually, in one, one case, the pump wasn't even there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, people love PMs on the equipment that's not there. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I wanted to have you on to ask you about was, you know, because of your background as a plant manager, is obviously you've you've had reliability rep- people who are reporting to you. Now, what were some of the things that they did that really helped you understand like what they're doing and maybe get buy-in from you to support their programs? Yeah, excellent question. The, you know, um, what I like to do is I, you know, uh, I actually have a video out on this is are you rewarding your reliability silent service? And to me, I had standard meetings with them, with the reliability group monthly, where they would come to me and present, here's what we're working on. You know, here's some successes. Here's some of our failures. And here's some help we need from you. So keep in front of me. It's easy. Hey, if the equipment's been down for two days, I know about every one of those. But I don't know about the motor that you change the mean time between failure from one year to 15 years. I don't know that <laughs> unless, you, unless you tell me. You don't know about the failures you don't have. So you have to, as a plant manager, you have to intentionally uh, go and capture those things. So I structured uh, th- these routine meetings with the reliability group and then also the condition monitoring group. That's what, you know, we were going all in on condition monitoring. Uh, I also... Uh, made it part of my standard work to audit uh, PMs. So like I had Tuesdays right after the daily management, we went out and let's go out and look at a job. It was every single Tuesday. We also went out anytime during the week that there was a failure, say something happened on afternoon shift. Okay, let's go and see. That go and see culture. The best thing I think the reliability com- community can do is, is, uh, is create a go and see culture. Don't tell somebody about your mean time between failure and stop. Tell them about it and then go and see. Let them see that. It's so easy to, you know, to discount a number when you hear it in a conference room. But whenever you see, you know, the, the oil spilled on the floor or the gearbox broken in half and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> spread all over the place, that, that, is, a, that is an event you know, that'll stick in your mind. One of the things you got to remember, you know, I happen to be a mechanical engineer, but how many plant managers are engineers or engineers that grew up off the shop floor? You know, a lot of them, you know, they, they're, they come out of finance. Now they come yeah. out of, of marketing and these people, uh, you know, great people make great decisions, far better, you know, decisions than I make, but they don't have this flair for equipment. And so you tend to avoid it. So if you have a plant manager that's an engineer, you may be able to just talk in, you know, KPIs. But if you don't, you got to show and tell. 
create that go and see culture. That's the, that's one of the main things I see missing uh, when you're trying to get uh, a, a plant manager's attention. Yeah, I really, I really like that. And it, you know, it's, it's part of that, you know, like you mentioned the, the monthly meeting with the reliability team and the CBM team. And that's one thing we've talked about numerous times on this show is almost the internal marketing piece. And we, obviously we talk about it from a reliability engineer perspective where you have to tell your plant manager like, hey, this is what I'm doing and this is the financial benefits to it. And, you know, just adding those pictures and adding that go out and see, that's just another piece to it, which really will cement it. Because a number, some people get really abstract with numbers and they just don't really understand them. But if you see the thing broken on the ground, like everyone sees that. <laughs> yeah, everyone sees your failures. And, and I think reliability has a lot in common with safety. Yeah. You know, so I think there's things to learn from the safety community is, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, you, you don't know the injury you don't you didn't have. So you've got to advertise that. One of the things I did with my PDM team and, and is I wanted a, an email blast every I wanted two a week of some PDM find and just wear people out. Hey, we found this with IR. We found this with UE. We found this on a on and just get people excited about, hey, remember Guys, we found this with UE the last time. This cost us $200,000. This cost us $1,500 this time. And it, connect those dots for people. And, and you need, a, I, think, I think reliability needs PR. And people, uh, I found the community is res very resistant to do this. I actually, the person I had responsible for this PR, I had to tell them to do it. <laughs> and and then when they and then I you know when I'd only get one that week I said the expectations too it's something that's in it's it's not natural it's like they should know what I'm doing well that's not true your your plant manager you know like I said I've done this three times you're overwhelmed with uh, data coming at you you know I used to get 200 email a day not bragging about that but I get 200 a day and then you had all your standard meetings that you went to. So how are you going to get the attention of that plant manager that may not have an equipment background? You know, they're going to have a bias and this like it or not, a plant manager has a bias of their history. You know, so uh, what am I comfortable working on? And if that is equipment, boy, you're, you're in good shape. If it's not equipment, you know, you're going to have to sell harder. You're going to have to go and see more. You know, I, one of the things I say, uh, you know, a lot of plant managers are more comfortable driving the car than fixing it right yep. <laughs> so, they to, so they say so all of their idea hey let's drive the car faster let's 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 not stop let's build a bigger gas tank so the car can go farther they're not they don't understand how do we make the engine more efficient how do we make it more aerodynamic how do we keep it from breaking down that's not their tendency what they know is put your foot on the gas and, and i'm not saying that's wrong i'm just saying you have to understand every plant manager is not the same they, they you got to understand where are they biased and one of the ways you can determine you can see if they're biased is have you ever sat in a meeting rob and you're proposing something and the plant manager or whoever the decision maker is they start telling a, a story from 20 years ago <laughs> happens every <laughs> time <laughs> happens every, well that is an example of you've triggered a bias that they have. You triggered a belief that they had that they've been holding on for 20 years. And that bias 
my person, this is Joe Coon's, you know, philosophy that bias is 51% of the decision. So you're, so if you got facts and data and you're piling it up, you got me to 49%. You've got to get through that 51%. Uh, and that's how do you, how do you do that? One is you create a go and see culture. You have you, your plant manager sponsoring a reliability effort is not uh, an email. It's not a speech. That means that me as a plant manager, and I'll, I'll share what one another thing I did. I actually taught reliability basics. It was a four-hour course. I taught it personally for when I was at the two-thousand-person plant. And you know, so I taught that class. I had this Tuesday that every Tuesday I went out and looked at a plan job, and then I had uh, you know monthly the PDM and, and reliability group reporting to me. Every failure, I'd go out and I'd see it, and I wouldn't beat anybody up on the failure. But I'm going through in my mind, you know, uh, give me the PM. Get, what's the equipment maintenance plan? Uh, does, does it attack this failure mode? Should we have found this? Hey, if it's a once in, if it's this pump's been in place for 35 years, it's never failed. <laughs> put the next one in. Let it go 35 years. We don't need to root cause that. <laughs> you know, and um, so it's an active, it, the plant, there's a lot of responsibility on the plant manager driving a reliability culture. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's at least a 10 hour a week job and, and, um, it'll fail if you don't have that kind of sponsorship. So, so how do you like, like, let's say we have a plant manager who's an accountant or they come from MBA or something. How do we get them to to give us that those ten hours per week and get that sponsorship? Well, I think you know it starts with some basic education around the opportunity of reliability. A lot of people just it, your tendency with a reliability says, "Oh, hey, that's just a that's cost." Okay, say your maintenance budget is a million dollars a month, and you're like, "Oh, that, that's just a cost." Well, what if if we can drive down our costs? You also you know, at the same time, you're going to be doing that through increasing reliability of the equipment, doing more planned work, less reactive work, right? More predictive work. The equipment runs better. Okay, maybe you can get more throughput out. But also, what does that do for the process people? You have a stable process now. Okay, a predictive. You can improve the quality of the material. You can, you can, uh, uh, it has an impact on safety of the plant as well because you're doing jobs that your, you know, your mechanics and electricians are out there in a skill-based mode where they understand the instructions and what they're doing. They're not doing troubleshooting. So you, I think you've got to explain, uh, you know, for your particular plant, what are the, and I, and I guarantee you can get some production people excited about this, is <laughs> what are not only the cost associated with maintenance, but what's the opportunity cost of reliability? And it's in safety, it's in quality, it's in throughput. You know, it, and it's in, you know, uh, I, I think I said quality already, but um, uh, that's step one. Step two is, is that that accountant person, you know, people are people. You've got to make the waste of non-reliability evident. And, you know, we, one of the revelations for me, I don't know why it took me so long to understand this, but every single reliability tool we got, every KPI is really just tracking waste. Meantime, between failures, all about waste. You're not running the equipment longer, right? It's not lasting longer. You know, uh, PMs are, are you know, you're, you got the equipment down. It's waste. You're, you're investing money in that. 
So creating a waste mindset. So educating your, you know, everybody can understand waste. So getting that accountant leader out on the shop floor, create an experience for them. Hey, our bottleneck PC at the plant is the hot mill uh, manager. It, it causes you a lot of stress. It's all the excuses you're giving up on how we're not making production. Why don't you stand with me on the exit end of the hot mill for eight hours tomorrow? Let's just, and we're going to be a fly on the wall for eight hours and watch what happens and look at the waste, look at the, the downtime, you know, uh, that's happened for reliability issues. Look at how maintenance and production are working together. That is a great experience to go and see. And then maybe the next day you say, hey, let's go audit a, let's watch this planned job. We got five mechanics assigned to change these, these uh, 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 rolls on this rolling mill, these backup rolls on this big rolling mill. Let's go out and watch that. And then you'll sit there and say, hey, that's, that was 15% wrench time. Uh, if we would have done this, this, and this, we could have had that at 40. And then you, they start saying, the accountants, they're better at numbers than me. <laughs> they're going to start saying, wait a second. I understand if I have, if I can get to 30% wrench time instead of 15, I actually can get a lot more work done with half the people. <laughs> You know, and I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm a big on reinvesting people, you know, uh, rarely, especially in this day and age, do you need to, you know, say we got too many craft people. Most likely what you have is you got them, you got them all in reactive maintenance. Imagine if you had that, you know, that hundred craft people I was talking about earlier. And if you can, uh, instead of all of hundred percent of them doing reactive maintenance, you had, you know, 60 of them doing reactive maintenance and 40 on proactive maintenance and problem solving and in your condition monitoring group, man, it's just, they, they will see that. I think you got to turn the conversation into waste. We are, you know, we make reliability so complex and hopefully I'm not doing that here. Uh, it's, it's really reliability is, is targeting waste elimination. Every tool. Why do you plan jobs? You try to have efficient execution of maintenance waste, right? Why do you, you know, lube something? You don't want the equipment to burn up. Waste. You know, you want it. Meantime between failure. Why do you work on that? You want, it's waste. You want the equipment to la run longer and last longer. I think if you boil the, the effort down to waste, you can get anybody's attention. And if you do that through experiences, holding their hand while we're standing at the exit end of the hot mill, I think that coach whispering in your ear, uh, that'll, that'll convert any any uh, plant manager. I love it. I love it. Now, I guess I had this question for you because I've seen it done a bunch of different ways and it's still kind of a mystery to me. So how do plant managers set the maintenance budget? And kind of a caveat to that is if they don't do it correctly, like what's the best practice for setting a maintenance budget? <laughs> well, uh, I'll tell you in reality how it's done. Uh, the You take this year's budget and you subtract about 5% from it. That's next year's budget. That's typically what I've seen. <laughs> That's the short version. Now, typically what happens uh, is, you know, there's always these one-offs. You know, for example, when I was running a, a power plant 
you know, uh, sometimes you'll go a whole 12 month period and not have a major outage on one of your big turbines. Well, you are artificially, you know, um, you know, have a lower um, budget that year. And then the next year you got two major outages and you're spending, you know, six million dollars more. Uh, I think uh, the argument is, you know, there, there are going to be one offs handle those one at a time. But the expectation, Rob, is that you get better every year. You know, if if you're problem solving, this is you cannot you cannot have your maintenance budget go down. Uh, well, I guess you can if you just cut costs. If you just said we're just <laughs> going to stop spending money, we're going to stop doing PMs and we stop rebuilding things. So unfortunately, a lot of people do that. But the expectation is you as a leader of reliability and maintenance, you have to problem solve. And if we're if we're pro, a problem solving organization, we we take a mean time between failure on a pump from one year to 10 years, and we keep doing that, we should get better year over year. And, and Rob, I've, I've never, I have not gone into a plan. I've been into probably close to 40 of them. I have not gone into a plant where the amount of waste didn't overwhelm the cost pressures. The amount of waste that was seen in Hey, we're not, you know, we've got five reliability engineers and then I've got a test for reliability engineers. It's real simple. You walk up to a reliability engineer. It's got, it says reliability engineer on his, on his door. You walk in there and said, what did you do yesterday? <laughs> and they'll, and they'll say, well, you know, I came in, I went, I read my email. I went to the daily management meeting. Some mechanics were having this problem. So I went out there, you know, they didn't understand how to lock and tag something. So I helped that. And then I'm the protocol owner for uh, uh, this chemical, you know, uh, that we use at the plant. And I had a meeting on that. And, and then I, I, you know, I had normal meetings the rest of the day. That's what I did yesterday. Well, you don't have a reliability engineer. You know, so you have to put in that problem solving. So I think the, the expectation on, uh, for a maintenance budget is to get better every year. I, and I don't think that's bad. You know, I, I uh, you know, I, I knew you were going to ask this question and I'm sitting there going, hey, uh, you know, do you want to build that from the bottoms up? Well, God dang, you'll end up with all these, you know, reasons why it needs to be, you know, 50 percent higher. Um, but if you got if you're attacking waste, you're problem solving, you're switching to condition monitoring from a hobby to a, a core part of your game plan, uh, you couldn't, can't help but to reduce cost, you know, four, five, 6%. I've seen 10 plants that I've been into and worked uh, actively with, the lowest I've seen was 10% year one. You must've got a good bonus for that. <laughs> well, you know, that, that's, that actually, I, I was a, a plant manager twice and then uh, the president of the company uh, said, hey, Joe, uh, I want you to do that for every plant. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what uh, they created the director role uh, for that purpose. And really, Rob, all I did was make the connection and supplemented all of the, rec the reliability best practices. I supplemented lean in with that. I, and when I say lean, you can use observation and you can use waste focus. And uh, it, it really, there's so much low hanging fruit in, in, in plants. Uh, but, you know, we tend to be focused, you know, on 
unfortunately, the engineers and I'm, I'm, I'm making fun of myself here. <laughs> we tend to be focused on the new, you know, we got to, you know, we want to buy a, a new widget. We want to put in a capital solution and the bread and butter in reliability maintenance is doing the basics. Well, you know, yeah. uh, I'm reflecting back years ago, I had a conversation with Ron Moore and I think everybody knows who's, who Ron Moore is, is, uh, you know, I, I was with another gentleman. He asked this question. He said, Ron, if you could only do one thing, what would you do? And he'd say lubrication. And, and, you know, it's, it's like 70% at one time, it used to be 70% of, of mechanical failures have a lubrication component to them, you know, to the root cause. So, uh, do that well. And, you know, you can improve about 10% just by doing lubrication well. <laughs> so there's a lot of money in the basics. Uh, I've got another very cool example. Uh, this is, you know, sorry if I'm talking too long here, but another example of a planned kitted job. I went out and observed this. This was not my idea. I saw this and I was auditing their kitting ability. Is this a full kit? Does it have everything on there? Not just the pump. But does it have the gasket material, the coupling, any bolts, any shim stock that they need to do that job is on the kit? Well, I noticed they had an empty, what, like two-gallon galvanized bucket on it. And I'm going, I don't get it. <laughs> what's, what's the galvanized bucket for? And they said, well, when we're doing this job, when we have to disassemble the old pump, we take apart a lot of small pieces and we set them on the ground. We set them here and there and we kick them around and then we can't find them. Then we have to go find new ones. You know, new bolt that has a certain thread on it, certain length. Uh, the one in particular that they, they, this triggered off was they, they uh, kicked the key for the coupling. They kicked it off into this pit. Well, they, <laughs> they, spent, they spent an hour. Think about, they, they spent an hour uh, getting that key replaced. And then they put this bucket on there so they have a place to keep it. So who would have thought that you could increase the wrench time on your job about 10% by putting an empty bucket on it in the kit? Those are the things you see when you observe. That's a, that's a really great example. I, I really like that one. So, oh no, I was just going to ask you the, the last question because we're, we're running out of time here. But, but I wanted to give you one more question before we get you out of here. And that is, like, what are your top tips, like your top reliability tips? Like you, you mentioned, you know, going out and observing. Do you have anything else that you want our viewers or our listeners to, to hear about? Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll change that question a little bit and say, uh, I guess I'll make it the opposite. What are the, some of the common mistakes I see people making? Uh, and it's like plant managers... Uh, they want long-term success, but the, the pressure for month-over-month uh, -month results is overwhelming. You know, it's like uh, reliability engineers are uh, buy-and-hold stock people, and plant managers are, are driven to be day traders. <laughs> and, and, it's, <laughs> and so whenever uh, a reliability engineer has a solution, has a recommendation, We've got to try to try to help the, the plant manager select that option. And by helping them find how do we get results now? If you give them a solution that says, hey, give me $500,000 this year and 200,000 next year, I'll give you a million in year three. 
that won't sell. You know, that, that, that's, you know, you and I as individual investors said, heck, yeah, it's a good deal. <laughs> yeah. But that won't sell because of the pressures on the plant manager. So you got to bring the and. you got to have long-term and short-term solutions. So spend time in a proposal of how you can bring the results forward. And I think observation will help reveal that to you. So I mean, the plant manager is not an evil person. And they want to do some long-term things, but they can only do about two or three. They can only invest because there's we got to have month over month results. And I want to do some right things so that we're better in the long term. And then there's going to be two or three of them. So why why your idea? And I think if you can come and say, hey, man, we can have results in, in the first 60 days. You're going to see an impact in the first 60 days and you're going to see a big impact in the future. I think that is, that's very key. Try to help them, uh, with their short-term problem. Um, the, um, you know, observation, I guess, you know, I, I just really want to stress observation that that is what's really missing. You know, engineers do a fantastic job of analyzing, you know, presenting charts, you know, presenting alternatives, but adding observation to it really un, un, uh, unveils, lower cost options and short-term uh, victories. I think that that is the main thing. Uh, and that's not just the engineer doing the observations. I think that's probably 90% of it, but you need to involve that leader, that decision maker. You need to say, hey, I need four hours on your schedule next week. I wanna show you something. I want you to experience this. And that, that goes back to you know the 51% emotional, historical decision that's that's made by the plant manager you got you got to understand that and observation i think is just so key i love it i love it now joe last question for you do you have anything to plug like obviously if they if they came through linkedin they should connect you with you there that's joe kuhn k-u-h-n now, obviously, YouTube reliability man. Are you going to get hit any conferences, or do you want? Should they check out your website, or give us the spiel? I do not have a website. Uh, you know, my uh, plug would be for the reliability man uh, videos. I've got thirty-two of them out there. Most of them are in the uh, seven to ten-minute range. Um, and what I'm trying to do is share lessons. I've already talked about this a little bit, share simple lessons and how you can apply lean to your reliability journey and just accelerate things, uh, so much faster. I am, uh, speaking at the SMR, SMRP conference, uh, October, I think I'm October 8th. Um, I am presenting, so please come and see me. So I'm not talking by myself. Um, uh, <laughs> I've, I've got a paper uh, also that will be included with that. So I, but I've have 50 minutes with the group. Um, I'm also got a article just came out in plant services magazine um, actually this week. So uh, take a look for that. Uh, I posted that on, on LinkedIn uh, for people to see, but uh, look for me there. The main thing I want to plug is, you know, I, I'm trying to help people and I, I, uh, you know, I'm a dad of, I've got four kids that are grown and I love coaching people. I love people to do better than I did. And I'm trying to give back through this, uh, reliability man videos, uh, and to help people that I'll never know their name. And, and I'd like to see that grow 
you know, to several thousand people are, uh, you know, giving me stories uh, around how the, they've improved their plant based on the shortcuts that that uh, that I gave them. You know, and there's no reason you have to repeat the long journey I took to buy knowledge of how to how to make an impact and reliability. There's no reason to to take that long. You can have results in in a matter of of weeks. So, reliability man is what I want to plug. Awesome, perfect. No, Joe, I, I appreciate you joining us today, and and I, you know, we're gonna definitely have you back on because I'm sure there's some more stuff you want to talk about. Okay, great. If you see one of my videos and say, Joe, I really disagree with you on this, I'd love that. You know, let's <laughs> let's debate that. You know. Okay. Thanks a lot, Rob. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode with Joe Kuhn. If you haven't yet, subscribe to Rob's Reliability Project on your favorite podcast platform and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. Thanks for listening. And remember, reliability never sleeps.